Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. When we get dysregulated, we do start to shift. those like our anchor and our beliefs. It's true about me too. You don't have to believe this all the time. You just have to, in general, believe that this is true about other humans. And the reason you do that is because... I believe in the practice of showing up in a relationship, offering that truth, like coming into the relationship, believing that about other people. But I really believe in the power of being that person who's like kind of looking around this even virtual community and saying, holy smokes, like I'm surrounded by people who believe this. Ultimately, I can't be the one outlying variable that this isn't true about. Ultimately, this must be true about me too. Therapist Uncensored brings you decades of experience with interpersonal psychotherapy, relational neuroscience, modern attachment, and anything else they think will be helpful in healing humans. Now, here are your co-hosts, Dr. Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. Hey everyone, this is Ann. At Therapists Uncensored, we bring you the science of interpersonal relationships in a way that makes it easy to understand, and our goal is to make it really practical for you to use it in your everyday lives. And I think today's episode really does that. My co-host Sue Marriott and our guest Robin Goebel break down the most difficult parts of parenting, being with both ourselves and our kids during times that are the most challenging, complete meltdowns, breakdowns, dysregulation, disconnects, things that make parenting certainly one of the biggest challenges I think that any of us can do. And Robin has spent much of her career focusing on early complex trauma and attachment trauma. And she has a way of bringing really important insights to help us shift away from focusing on behavioral problems and pathologizing and to focus more on connection and emotional regulation it's really a light for many of us out there who can feel jammed up. Now, this is the second episode that we have interviewed her. My gosh, I think it's now three years ago, episode 53, check it out, where she also talks about managing dysregulation with complex trauma. Now, in today's episode, since the last time we spoke, Robin has left Austin, our sadness, but she has moved on to actually create the podcast and it's live that she talked about on our show three years ago and it's called Parenting After Trauma. Got to check that out. And the thing that's interesting, she's going to start off the episode. They talk about the club that she has formed. These are virtual online communities for parents of children with histories of trauma because parents can need a great deal of support. And she has found a way during COVID to reach more people. And now this is going to be a new tool for her. It's a way to help you get tools and support. But also what's so important is a sense of community for parents out there that can use help staying in connection and regulation for themselves. So check it out. If you find this episode helpful, 
please take the moment to pass it on and or rate and review us. That always helps us in the end get our voice out far and wide. All right. Thanks. And let's jump in. Hey, Robin Gobel. Welcome back. We're so excited to have you back on the show. Of course, super excited to be invited and just to spend the morning with you again. This is yeah. awesome. So for those of you who don't know, we had the pleasure of interviewing Robin back on episode 53, and we are going to follow up. And you know, we don't always have guests on twice because there's so many cool things to put on, but Robin has been up to a lot of things and has been really working hard on developing application of these ideas to really help people. So it's not just in your head and it's not just theoretical. It's our privilege to have you come and share your current thinking and anything that you've learned and things like that. So let me just start like right at the heart of it. It's like, what are you most excited about right now in this work? I'm most excited about busting through the way we believe we're supposed to be offering mental health care to people and particularly to families. So that's, that's exciting already, <laughs> which is I know like this huge concept, but it really, I think underlies in a way, everything that I'm trying to do right now and seeing the limits of the way that we believe in the U S specifically and in our Western culture, like how we believe mental health care is supposed to be offered what do you mean by that? Like, what's the old model that you're busting out of? Like, what are some of the limitations? Yeah, so my perspective on this, and I'm not saying this is true for all people, but my yeah. perspective has been like one-on-one, 50-minute therapy hour. And even if we go up, like increase the you know, frequency of that, there's still a big resemblance to this you know, one-on-one, 50-minute therapy hour that's held inside the medical model, meaning there's this place we start from with conceptualizing through a kind of pathology and then trying to fix what's wrong. <laughs> and <laughs> there's so many things about that idea as I've you know grown as a clinician and grown in my own healing work for myself and seeing what truly helps other people that just is like, who told us to do it this way? And why are we still doing it this way? And I mean, there's a, we could have a big conversation about who told us to do it that way. And then why we're still doing it. But I think moving, you know, so I left Austin, Texas, this therapy rich environment. It's been about 18 months, I guess, since we came to outside Grand Rapids, Michigan. Mm -hmm. And I lived my entire adult life in Austin, which means my entire professional life was in Austin in this extremely therapy rich environment, right? Like Mm -hmm. we had more therapists per human in Austin, like any (laughs) city in the whole world, it seems Uh like, right? Everybody's in therapy. Everybody goes to therapy. And all the therapists are like super excited and like yes. learning stuff and yeah. Yeah. It was such a, uh, a yeah. And there were so many opportunities yeah. to be a great therapist and connect with other great therapists. And I also think there was a lot of opportunities to create accessible mental health services. It certainly wasn't perfect. You know, there's a lot of things could always have been improved, but there was an accessibility to mental health care in Austin that I probably understood cognitively was true, that that didn't exist everywhere. But then I left and was really able to like hold how true. And and even in Austin, you know, we lived outside Austin, we lived rurally. And so I lived in a real rural community that didn't have as many resources. And 
traveling into the city to get your mental health needs, that's mm. not an option for everybody a for a barrier. whole mm. host of reasons. Where did you land? So now I'm outside Grand Rapids, Michigan, which is a much smaller city than Austin, a much less progressive city than Austin. And I think that just highlighted this truth that really good quality mental health services are just not accessible. And, you know, my area of expertise has always been working with kids with complex trauma and their families. So most of these kids have been adopted, had experienced significant trauma, and they're in adoptive families. So it's really, really pretty narrow niche. And even more true for this one specific population that there's not even close to the resources needed for these families. They actually literally don't even exist, let alone in enough quantity Mm -hmm. to meet the needs of these really struggling families. Then we went to 100% telehealth back in March, right? The whole world in a way. Mm -hmm. Now we're trying to offer services in this really like for some, most of us unique format offering telehealth services to children has some fascinating (laughs) challenges that come up. So when I moved, I had decided to take a break from offering direct clinical services. So I've been really focused on teaching and training and consulting and supporting the other therapists. So when we shifted into this crisis, the pandemic, I sat on a little bit on the outside of it as I was supporting the therapist, supporting these people who are transitioning to a new model of care in their own crisis themselves and trying to support families who lived in chronic, chronic crisis with kids with pretty significant behavioral issues, dysregulation, mental health you know, challenges. So the, all these things like kind of kept putting themselves in this little basket of me realizing like there has to be a better way. Mm-hmm. And even if it's not an ideal, perfect way, there's still got to be a way that we can support and be with people in an accessible way, accessibility from like format accessibility in like one-to-one versus one-to-a-lot, financial accessibility, time of day accessibility. I mean, there's just so many things, right? Oh, man, you're, you're singing our song. <laughs> yeah, I, and, and in a way, like all of us are also feeling so helpless, right? Like, how can I? That's true. Right. Another part of this piece is that in the last year and a half, when I haven't been actively seeing clients, I decided it would be a great time to write a book. And it's mostly a memoir about my own kind of healing journey. Mm. I didn't expect these two topics to collide, but ultimately they did as I started to get really curious, really, I just started asking myself this question, like, what is my book even about? Like, I'm very confused. I'm writing this book. I have no idea what it's about. Yeah. And trying to succinctly state, like, what is this book about and what was helpful for me in my own journey that I think is unique and that I don't think everybody is receiving because it's not accessible. And ultimately, I came up with what feels, you know, this is ever evolving, these three really big pieces. And then therefore, I've tried to see, can I recreate this on a bigger scheme where more people are receiving it? That's such an exciting thing to kind of be trying to tell a story and then have to step back. It's like, what is the real story? Anna and I are doing something similar with we're writing and we keep doing the same thing. It's like, we think we're going in, but we keep coming coming back. It's like, what are we actually saying? What what matters? What works? Right. Still it down. So I'm so excited. What did you get? What were your three things? 
So my, again, these are ever evolving. And so in a yep, year, yep. I might be like, Ooh, that was yeah, all right. We, but, we, won't, we won't pen you down. <laughs> but right now, yeah, I see these three major things again, emerged in my own journey as I reflected on it. But then I'm like, I've supported hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of families. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, these are the common themes here. So one is for me, truly understanding what I call like the relational neurobiology of just being human. And, you know, there's such this emphasis, I feel like on like trauma informed and the impact of trauma, which is fantastic and has shifted so many things and paradigms. And yet. This is human informed, not not just trauma informed. (laughs) Yes. Although I've gotten away from saying that because I got a little bit of pushback that it felt a little bit too watered down. It felt a little bit too, actually what happened, and this is hard to admit out loud, but I was in a forum where somebody compared it to it feeling a little bit like the all lives matter movement. This was horrifying to me. Right. Of course, like I was totally. like, oh, spent a lot of time like reflecting on that. Like, Oh my yeah. gosh, how did that happen? Yeah. And I've hopefully now taken all of it off my website. Cause I'm like, and, and I asked, I was real vulnerable and asked like a big group of trusted colleagues and some of them were gutsy enough to say like, you know, the first time I, I heard you talk about that, I, I thought the same thing. Oh, and wow. because I know your heart and I know where you're coming from, I knew that's not what you meant. But I had that pang myself, too, that it felt a little bit too much like all lives matter. And so I've been trying to process that and figure out, like, okay, so how do I express? And also shout out to those people who are brave enough to let us know, oh my gosh, I know. when we're, you know, stumbling along, toddling along yeah. and not or unconsciously perpetuating things and how hard it is, but how brave it is that you really yeah. took that in and examined. Oh, yeah. I mean, it just was such the antithesis of what I was attempting to communicate, but enough people were saying that that was their first reaction that I was like, okay, well, obviously it needs to kind of reframe this. And and as I dove deeper into that, what I was feeling was what I see out of the trauma-informed care movement with kids, especially in, in the educational system and the parenting system, is that there ultimately comes a place where it becomes just another behavior management technique Mm -hmm. that we learn about trauma. We learn about how trauma impacts behaviors. And so then we do X and Y will change. And so that still feels like it doesn't sit on what is my truth, which is all of us, like the neurobiology of being human is that, you know, both connections are biological imperative that we're complex systems, always attempting to find coherence and integration. And until I feel like we can really sit in that truth, then we are at risk of this trauma-informed lens of ultimately becoming another kind of behavior management technique. Like we're going to use this new way to still get the behavior. That's what I'm looking for. As opposed to the trust that it's like humans are designed to be their best selves are designed to be in relationship. They're designed to be in ways that are inviting and giving connection. So if they're not behaving in that way, let's get super curious about why. I'm imagining a trauma therapist hearing you. So when you say that trauma-informed therapy ends up unintentionally, I think, becoming a behavioral, like looking at the behavioral and managing that, can you say just a little bit more so people understand what you mean? Yeah. So I think about 
And this is certainly not true across the board. You and I both know amazing, wonderful people who call themselves trauma-informed, who this wouldn't be true about them, but that when we're thinking about human behavior and then thinking about how trauma has impacted that behavior, we still are really focused on the behavior, still really focused on what we can see from that behavior. Yeah. And are you thinking of kids in particular or everybody? I'm thinking of everybody. Yeah. And so to take it back to, okay, what did I discover that was in the story of my book that I was like, how can I get this out to the whole world? That's a big piece of it is being in therapy, having a therapist who believed this, who believed 100% in connection being a biological imperative and Mm -hmm. all behavior makes sense. One of the things I learned so much from Bonnie Badenoch, right, is no behavior is maladaptive. It all makes sense. It doesn't mean it's all good or helpful or useful or not something we really need to change Mm -hmm. (laughs) for a Mm -hmm. whole host of reasons. Yeah. It all makes sense, Uh which is just that shifts for me, my way of being, Uh right? That shifts as the therapist, my nervous system, my openness, my welcoming, And being on the couch myself, knowing that my therapist was staunchly committed to this truth, you know, being so curious about why the symptom exists and being so confident that exists for a really good reason. Again, that doesn't mean we don't want to necessarily change it. It's a subtle difference, but it's really like an energetic change. Totally. It's the the shame factor is massively different. Yes. And really to be able to sit in that place as the therapist to really believe these things, for me, at least there came a place where I had to understand the neurobiology or I wasn't going to believe it. Like I had to understand kind of like the left brain facts about like the neurobiology being human and then how adverse experiences, toxic stress, trauma impact that that for me was like the one pillar, like learning that the some, facts. If you can get that lens on almost anything, the compassion opens up and your, your interest in it because you can still be very curious about it, but you're coming right. at it from a really different perspective. I think by getting this feedback, both from parents and educators, so a lot of, yeah. I had a lot of experience too, like helping educators yeah. really implement a trauma-informed model is that the challenging behavior was about the trauma, you know, I'd get these questions from parents and educators and they'd say like, I totally believe this. I totally believe in this trauma-informed model, but then they'd have a but, and it would usually sound like one of two things, but what about when it's not working or, but how do we know if this given behavior is about trauma or not? So there was the space of Mm -hmm. believing that if a behavior that was undesirable, How do we distinguish if this is a trauma behavior or not a trauma behavior? Implicit in that question is because then we're going to handle them differently. Yeah. And my belief is that no, like, no, 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 no. Like, that's the wrong question. If it's trauma related, I can be more empathetic or I can. If it's not trauma related, then I don't. It's a behavioral issue. Yes, it's just a behavior issue, which means I'm going to take a behavior approach, which almost always turns into a punitive approach. As hard as we try not to, you know, it almost always turns into 
a punitive approach, this belief, there's still like almost this underlying belief that like, if I don't figure out the best consequence or the best behavior, they're never going to act right. And so just really challenging that idea. Like, oh, it doesn't exciting. matter. It does matter. I mean, I don't want to minimize the impact of trauma and people who are experiencing really devastating impacts on their lives because of the impact of trauma. And so the impact of trauma certainly does matter, but it matters because of how the trauma is impacting their neurobiology of just exactly. being a human. Yeah. It's at a treatment approach for an end right. here versus just this more receptive discovering who this person is. Does that fit? Yeah. So even the question of, but what do we do if it doesn't work? Yeah. Begs the question of like, but what does that mean? What does working mean? My, my agenda doesn't work. Yeah. So I spent a lot of time thinking about, cause I would go to these conference. And again, those are almost always the two questions I would hear after speaking. Yep. Mm-hmm. I totally get it. I love this approach. I want to be trauma informed, but what, you know, and then yep. those two questions. Right. And so I really, you know, I think that's where I started to come, you know, like we need to move past being trauma informed and really lay trauma informed on what we understand about what it means to be human and really embody that, like not just hold it in our left brain, but like really embody what that means. Because I believe that shifts how we show up then as the helpers. So again, if I kind of then go back to, you know, these couple pillars that I've I've come up with in an attempt to create more accessibility for families who need support. One is this, like one's this like educational kind of left brained that goes a little bit beyond just understanding the impact of trauma. In fact, somebody, I just had a conversation this morning with someone. It's like, I know all the stuff in my head, but I can't do it. I'm still failing as a parent. I'm a failure, right? So for me, I started thinking about Well, for my own healing experience, there was two really important things. And at first I thought this can't be recreated, but I started to think, yes, it can. And one was, I knew that my therapist believed these things. Like I knew she looked at me with that lens. I knew what I saw in her eyes. I knew this new version of myself, new meaning I'd never seen it before. Not new meaning it it never existed before. It had always been me but nobody had ever really reflected uh, the truth to had me. recognized it so that you could see it in yourself. Yes. Yes. And the safety of knowing, because she was really explicit about it, the safety of knowing, like I could never do anything bad enough or tell her anything bad about it myself that would make her change that thought. Never. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. believed her. Her commitment to it was so clear. Like I just totally believed her. And then I was working as a therapist. So the third piece then for me was that I was a practicing therapist and I was forced then 30 hours a week to show up every day and stay anchored in that truth. And the truth being connections is a biological imperative. We're always moving towards integration. There's nothing wrong with you. Yes. Yeah. There's there's nothing nothing wrong wrong with with you. you. These parts of self that have emerged and sure may have some behaviors that are troubling, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like they all exist for a reason. They're all, you know, they're protective and, as therapists, sometimes we're confronted with people who have very challenging behaviors mm-hmm. and they tell us about them from the real world, but sometimes we also see them in our office, mm-hmm. right? And so the practice of staying in that belief, almost like this meditative practice of constantly coming back to 
you know, there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you. How can I be curious? How can I be curious? How can Mm -hmm. I welcome this part of you? How can I create safety? Right. Mm -hmm. The fact that I was being forced to give and receive that forced because it was my job. These three pieces together, I started to think like, oh, no, no, no. This doesn't have to exist only in the therapy room. This does not have to exist only in the therapy. What if I created a space while I'm really passionate and think the whole world needs to know these things? Currently, my primary area of focus is parents of kids with complex trauma. Mm -hmm. And so could we create the space virtually became Mm -hmm. the next curiosity because that's what we're doing right now is being virtual. But I was getting emails from people. I was getting social media responses from people. Literally, somebody told me, somebody I've never met in my entire life told me that their family thinks about me like as part of their family, you know, and they're like, so what would would Robin do? You know? And I was like, okay, so somehow even virtually with somebody I've never even had a one-on-one relationship Mm, with. Now you're an internal person. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. (laughs) That is so exciting. And you can scale that. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But I can't do that myself either. Like I'm just one person. So my grand experiment has to create like this virtual community for parents of kids with trauma. And I created like a, it's called the club and I created a club manifesto. (laughs) It reads like regulated, connected kids who feel safe, you know, are behaving in like developmentally appropriate ways, regulated, connected kids who feel safe. And then I went and regulated, connected parents who are feeling safe, are parenting the way that they want to, a way that matches their values and their ideals. We're all overflowing with infinite worth. We're all always doing the very best we can in every unfolding moment. You put a trick in there, which was regulated and connected. That's how you can't be dismissed or pushed away because now the message is, how do you regulate and connect? How do you regulate and connect? How do you feel safe? Right. So regulation, connection, felt safety. If we can see the behavior, but look underneath behavior and ask yes. ourselves, okay, what's the regulation? Where's the, you know, the connection? Is this person feeling safe? Yeah. You know, and really, truly understanding what, what felt safety is, you know, and that, as parents, it's true about us too. Totally. I'm parenting. I'm in relationship with my kid, my husband, my parents in the way that matches my values and my ideals when I'm those things, when I'm feeling regulated, you know, when I'm not and really when I'm not behaving in a way that I'm especially proud of, or that matches my own values and ideals, I can track that back to, was I feeling connected to myself or to them? Was I, how regulated was I? What what was my level of felt safety in that Mm -hmm. moment? So So it gives you kind of direction, even like when you find yourself with your lid flipped and right doing the things we know we wouldn't say to do, but that we do, then it's not just a shame bath. It's not just like, nobody should listen to me because I'm not even doing it myself. The model then is where you track back and you look for where that I lost connection, where I'm feeling threatened, and then moving back to safety and connection. Right. It's implicit that it gives you what to do. (laughs) 
Yes. And if part of why I flipped my lid was because like my kid's behavior was challenging. He's 14. This happens every now and again. (laughs) (laughs) I can ask myself the same thing about him, you know, like what's happening here? What's shaking his level of felt safety? Well, there's all sorts of things shaking everyone's felt safety right now. Oh man. (laughs) You know, is he feeling connected to me? You know, like what is our level of connection in this moment? How regulated is he? Which could come down to something as simple as when was the last time he ate? But that if I can see his behavior and go regulation, connection, felt safety. Well, first of all, I'm not making characterological assumptions that helps me stay regulated myself. And then ultimately it helps me like solve what the real problem is, right? Which mm-hmm. isn't that he's a mouthy jerk. It's that he's, you know, in that moment has too much going on to stay in connection to his own regulation and behave in a way that I know is true about him, which is lovely, right? Mm-hmm. But I really felt passionate about people being surrounded by other people who believed this about them. Mm-hmm. So I made this like manifesto for membership, right? Like you, and I said, you don't have to believe this all the time because when we get dysregulated, we do start to shift. It's like our anchor and our beliefs. It's true about me too. You don't have to believe this all the time. You just have to in general, believe that this is true about other humans. And the reason you do that is because I believe in the practice of showing up in a relationship, offering that truth, like coming into the relationship, believing that about other people. But I really believe in the power of being that person who's like kind of looking around this even virtual community and saying, holy smokes, like I'm surrounded by people who believe this. Ultimately, I can't be the one outlying variable that this isn't true about. Ultimately, this must be true about me too. That's so beautiful. I can really, (sighs) really see the power of that because I love group power. So that way, when one person's off, you know, you've got a group to contain it and to re-regulate. So they don't have to have it together all the time. And then when that happens over time, and then they're able to help somebody else, right? it's like, now you have a whole new regulatory system. What's the mechanic? Like it's an online virtual group. Do, do they meet together? Like how, how does that work? So it's still unfolding and we're open to making some changes. But in this moment, what it consists of is truly like like joining, signing up and saying like, yes, I believe in these things. I actually really believe that's a huge piece of it. Like making this mm-hmm. commitment of, I believe this and mm-hmm. I'm willing to try to believe it about you and about me. Even though that sounds like theoretical, there is like a very functional yeah, logistical piece it. of it. Yeah. 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 Like there's literal yeah. like check boxes, like, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And again, yeah. it's like, I'm not trying to control your thoughts and I don't expect you should believe this all the time. It's not possible. But when it comes right down to it, Here's the North Star. Here's where we're heading right. back towards. <laughs> yes. Yes. And it's not just because the North Star benefits you. It's because the North Star benefits everyone in this group. That's right. Knowing, you know, that we all have the same North Star. So then I kind of think about it, you know, I've taken these kind of three pillars and tried to make the framework even for the group. So one is there is an educational component, psychoeducational component inside the group. There's a a Zoom like monthly masterclass. And that's just on a a short topic about parenting. You know, and it could be about, you know, specific behavior or, you know, it varies. So there's a, you know, psychoeducational component. And then I've have monthly themes 
There's the chickens. Did you hear that? Oh, <laughs> yeah. if, you guys didn't, if you guys didn't hear that, uh, <laughs> here's the uncensored part. Uh, yeah. Can you tell them how many chickens that you have? We have 11. We have two roosters and nine hens. And <laughs> so is that a rooster that we're hearing? We just heard a rooster. Yep. Wonderful. Cat, they, yes, they talk. They kind of yell at each other all day long, actually, is what they do. But <laughs> it's pretty funny. Um, so, okay. So then there's this monthly, like, overarching theme that's about caring for ourselves as parents. You know, what are things that we can be doing? You know, it's not just about showing up and learning facts. If that's all it was about, nobody would even follow me on social media. But that's the right. easy part. So the facts are just one little piece. And the other is, you know, like, what can we do that is really what it's doing is increasing our own regulation, our own integration, our own capacity to have reflective functioning, which is mm-hmm. such a crucial Amen. part yes. of parenting in a way everything yeah everything you're right everything so in Mm -hmm. my parenting group in my parenting work I call it having x-ray vision goggles right Mm -hmm. that we can put our x-ray vision goggles on and we can notice the behavior and just notice it as a clue and then get inside and go what's underneath that's driving this behavior and then of Mm -hmm. course ultimately we turn that back to ourselves Mm -hmm. it's really easy to understand somebody else's you know Mm -hmm. behaviors but we still hang out and shame ourselves Mm -hmm. so parents are so motivated to learn these things about their kids. And Mm -hmm. ultimately I can say, but you know, this is true about you too, right? Mm -hmm. Like the way we're looking at what's underneath it for your kid, like what makes you exempt from that? So like, for example, this month's theme was just on the broad topic of integration. And so we learned about the concept of integration, what it means, what neural, neural, you mean neural Neural integration. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, the you know a, a suggested daily practice, kind of based on the wheel wheel of awareness. Yeah, yep. right, so oh, nice. there's the caring for ourselves piece, mm-hmm. and then the third piece is caring for each other, like showing mm-hmm. up and being in a community. Mm-hmm. And so there is a group forum, mm-hmm. and it's just been gorgeous. It's just been gorgeous the way. People are showing up, people are being vulnerable, people are saying things like things I'm not telling them to say, but things like, mm-hmm. I see you, I hear you, I'm holding that for you oh, today. And then I also think about all the people who aren't really participating, because you know, in group forums, there's different levels. Some people participate a lot, some people- Is it like a listserv or- Well, right now it's just a private Facebook group because- yeah. There's not a great forum I know, no, opportunity, I, you know? I, yeah. Mm-hmm. So right now it's just a Facebook group, which is not okay. ideal for a couple of reasons, but in other ways it is ideal because of the way yeah. that Facebook groups function. Yeah. It's not therapy. And the forum also has, re- the whole group has really clear structure and guidelines, which is another way of creating felt safety, yeah. right? So yeah. we don't give our kids names. We don't post pictures of them. We take a need to know basis when we post things, you know, like your child's life story doesn't need to live on the internet, but yeah. we want to support you. Yeah. So what's the least amount of information possible you could give us to tell us about what's happening yeah. for you? And again, it's not therapy. So I, I'm not worried about HIPAA and things like yeah, that. Yeah, and you let and you let the group support one another. You're not coming in primarily being the support person. Is that right? So it's you know, there's a space of growing a community of you know taking that role at first. Mm-hmm. And I also have a team. I have other people. So it's not just me. But that is ultimately my hope is yeah. that my job will be more to create the holding environment while they begin to really connect with and offer each mm-hmm. other 
what they need. And also I have to keep thinking about all the people who aren't posting because people have yep. different ways of being in groups, right? Oh like yeah. Some totally. People, people are rest, getting things from just watching this. Just yes. reading. Yeah. You know, so then I think about writing something to someone and I imagine, oh my gosh, like 150 other people are re- they're hearing my, mm-hmm. you know, my words, they're reading my, they're hearing my compassion, mm-hmm. you know, eventually you have to ask yourself again, like, how could I be the one outlying variable here? Mm-hmm. How could I be the one person that doesn't deserve this level of compassion? It's still a kind of experimental phase, but I've not been this excited about something in a long time. You're really onto something. I think it's because it's so non-shaming and, yeah, there is. It's not a blank check. It's not just like everything is wonderful. Uh, oh, no. Know? No, no, no. Right? You've got to do your education. You've got to learn. Yeah. And then this whole quest around regulation and safety, it's like, yeah. that's what it is. So can you say the three pillars again? Just Yes. Keep- Pillar number one is that we are learning about like the neurobiology of being human. We're learning about the brains. We're learning about how trauma impacts that. And then the resulting behaviors that we see. Yeah. Yeah. Second one is that we're showing up in a place where we know everybody believes that there's nothing wrong with me. Like me as the adult, I'm here for my kids, right? But if I need to want to cultivate enough regulation in my own neurobiology that I can parent in the way that I want to, a way to receive that is to be constant, you be co-regulated, yeah. right? Right. To be co-regulated. I mean, even I should, that there's nothing wrong with me. I mean, that's just powerful. Like, who, you know, that's just, that's therapy by itself. Right. Like that, that practice. Right. Yeah. And then the third one is that I'm committed to offering that to each other. Yeah. You know, to every, and again, that isn't like this Pollyanna. We all just show oh. up and like blow, you know, come, rainbows. Come and, yeah. No, no, no. You know, because another part of the manifesto actually that I had, forgotten to mention is that we're committed to, you know, fiercely enforcing compassionate boundaries, because that's a huge part of parenting. When I watch parents shift to this new kind of model of parenting, which is more focused on regulation, connection, and felt safety, as opposed to consequences and punishment, Mm -hmm. because as a culture, we've so conflated boundaries with consequences and punishment Mm -hmm. that when we try to shift away primarily using consequences and punishment, we are confused about how to set a boundary. And that we can set boundaries with other people's behavior mm-hmm. without losing our connection to connection to biological imperative. And we can do both. I can say this behavior is not acceptable. So can I throw you an example? Like, again, I'm trying to think of a skeptic out there. It's like, oh, yeah. that sounds great. But yes, so, so it's COVID in your family, you have rules about um, yeah. boundaries around yes. COVID and uh, yes. interactions with other people. And so, you know, whatever, middle school child secretly does what they want related to boundaries. It just doesn't, sneaks out and or goes inside, doesn't want, you know, you know, for good reason, you know, social pressures or whatever. Totally. But something pretty major as far as that. And then not telling the family. Okay. Okay. Go. Okay. Okay, So (laughs) one thing you just said that is actually really important and all is hard for people, especially when they're so worried about safety, right? Like as we're dysregulated, we forget these truths, which is middle school kids are peer oriented. 
Mm-hmm. Middle school kids aren't thinking about long-term consequences, you know, like all these things that have to do with their brain. So that really actually is step number one, like remembering it in context mm-hmm. because it takes it, us out of character assassination. Like they're just bad. They're just selfish. Right. They just do whatever they want and don't right. care about the rest of us. So just shifting that lens. Mm-hmm. Obviously that doesn't change the behavior, but if we want to be with our kids in a way that ultimately the behavior can change, I do believe that's a really important paradigm shift, right? So there's number one is really understanding like, why, why is this happening? And then the second one is we can still set a boundary just because we understand why it's happening. We don't have to say like, oh, it's so important to my middle schooler that they have these social interactions. So I guess there's just nothing I can do about it. No, the boundary is I understand why you want this and why it's so important to you that you are prioritizing what you want over maintaining the connection in our relationship. Because when you do something that's against the rules, you hurt the connection in our relationship. Okay. Mm -hmm. So let me get curious about why that's true, why that's such a priority. And then maybe what I need to do is think about how do I put the the environmental pieces in place that allow my child to be successful? How do I create an environment that doesn't allow my child to be not successful? (laughs) I mean, if we got really extreme here, that could look like you know, your child doesn't go anywhere without your direct supervision. Mm -hmm. And there are alarms on doors and windows. Now I'm not advocating that as like the first line of defense here, Mm -hmm. but if we wanted to go all the way to the extreme, if your child's not capable of, you know, making choices that are safe for the whole family, then they need more connection. They need more co-regulation. They need more Well, it's more a demonstration of, you know, the boundaries can be ba- real boundaries. This isn't just soft, sweet stuff. Yeah. But if we're going to put door alarms on or window yeah. alarms on, which I know families that have to do this, even pre-COVID, to yeah. create some safety, when we do it from the lens of, I understand why you're doing this. It's my job as a parent to create an environment that allows for your safety and allows you to be successful. The energy, you know, with the door alarms is completely different than you're a bad kid who will never follow the rules. And this is what I have to do. So it's the same behavior. Like we still have alarms, but the energy of it's completely different. And our kids are seeing a different version of themselves reflected back to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I could see it's so about tone, right? Like locking down your windows, you know, from a one perspective versus I can see that you're having trouble controlling that impulse. And and I can see why that would be the case. So let's help you with that. And then this also stays saving for your friends. It's like, you can't, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's you're helping them do something that a part of them really wants to do. And that feels really different. Very different. And their experience of what you think about them is very different. And I actually think that that's wildly important, Mm -hmm. right? That my kid sees me as looking at him. So he sees in my eyes that I know he's an amazing child that for whatever reason is struggling to meet this expectation. Mm -hmm. And so my job is to help as opposed to me looking at him with eyes of like, you're just a bad kid. You can't follow the rules. And I have to do X, Y, and Z. I have to take his experiences of himself is totally different. Totally. You know, we just recently interviewed Elizabeth Sylvester. Do you know her here in Mm -hmm. Austin? Mm -hmm. Fantastic. And her nurtured heart Mm -hmm. work. And this reminds me a lot of that, about just that. So they kind of go together. So if you're listening, just to keep supporting this idea and this, it's really a reworking, a rewiring of how that we are interpreting and understanding. 
which is all towards security. This is about growing security, facilitating yes. security. That's really wonderful. Do you want to give one more example just to get this in? And maybe you generate it this time from your experience of something that is particularly difficult, like it's not the soft stuff and how this applies in that case. Right. So really common behavior, quote unquote problem that I'll hear a lot is lying. And the lying can be about small things that are pretty inconsequential and don't really matter. Or they can be about just like what you said, like there's an element of lying and like sneaking out, not wearing your mask, mm-hmm. things like that. So for me, again, the very first step, the very first step is parents caring for themselves enough that they can hold on to their thinking brain. Because if we can't <laughs> hold on to our own thinking brains... <laughs> Oh, lying. Oh, that, yeah. <laughs> well, and especially with lying, like I rarely run across a behavior that's as triggering to parents as lying and food issues are pretty much the things that will send really? parents. Ju- yes. Cause there's such an element of nurture and care and food issues. And when your kids are rejecting that, it is mm-hmm. so hard to separate it from them mm-hmm. not rejecting you. Mm-hmm. So lying and food issues are like the two things that I've watched parents just like cannot hold on to their own. Mm-hmm. You know, it just feels so personal. Yeah. So we have to work on that first. How can we stay more regulated? And I do think an element of that is understanding the why. Where's mm-hmm. the lie coming from? Mm-hmm. Lying's about like, if I tell the truth, things aren't going to work out for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's not safe to tell the truth. Either I'm going to get in trouble or I'm not going to get what I want. Or, or I'm going to disappoint you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's going to hurt the relationship. So lying is about like, it's, it's not safe to tell the truth. So first I just stay anchored in that. Like that keeps me curious. Like, huh, wonder why my kid has to lie about this. You know? Okay. So here's an example of my own real life. My husband's a fantastic cook. Fantastic. And takes a lot of pride. So here we can combine lying and food issues. Actually, I hadn't done that on purpose. <laughs> and my son's a really sensory picky eater. He has been since the moment he started on solids, basically really sensory picky kid. And, you know, there's a a place I'm sure of hurt for my husband when there's this gorgeous meal prepared and the kid won't eat it. Or it's met with like, (laughs) this like legitimate expression of disgust. Mm -hmm. As hard as we try to be, you know, the parents that we're, you know, wanting to be, you know, we're not perfect under any stretch of the imagination. And ultimately, our son has learned that him expressing how he feels about food causes pain. And so we noticed one day that he was starting to lie about it. He would say, like, I'm just not hungry or I just ate, or I really like this, but, and it was really (laughs) obvious he was lying. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. what he he wanted to say was, "Mm, I just don't like this. And so we had to pause as parents and go, how have we unintentionally contributed to him not feeling safe Mm -hmm. to just say the straight up truth? He doesn't Mm -hmm. like it. So we had to get real honest with ourselves about that you know, have conversation, own that with him. Like we realize this is what's happened. You know, you are welcome to tell us you don't like something. It is possible to express that you don't like something in a respectful way <laughs> that like, ew, when somebody has just spent an hour cooking you a meal, it's just mm-hmm. never respect. It's just not okay ever. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. even if that's what you're feeling, <laughs> right? <laughs> but like, oh, dad, I really just don't like this. Then our job, son, is to be regulated enough to say, thank you for being honest about it. Thank you for being not disrespectful about it. Thank you for not making up a lie about it. And thank you for knowing yourself. Like you're allowed to have likes and dislikes to preferences that are not the same as mine. Yep. And so we had to be regulated ourselves. We had to understand what was driving it. I don't feel safe to tell the truth. There's no other reason for my son to make up a story about why he's not eating something. Right. If it wasn't safe to tell the truth, then we had to address that problem, create mm-hmm. enough safety. And then we had to give them some new behavioral alternatives, like teach mm-hmm. him what to do instead. And then we had to follow through with our end of the bargain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if he says, I don't like this, we have to try not to celebrate <laughs> again. Really? You know, like the, we had to be like, thank you. Yes. Thank you. And, and we can be honest, like it is hard to hear that yeah. somebody doesn't like something. Yeah. That doesn't mean you don't still get to have your own feelings of not liking it. Like both mm-hmm. get to be true in this moment. Mm-hmm. Well, part of what I hear in that is just how co-regulatory it is. The layers of complexity to grow into where that, like, if we think of it as a triangle of you and your husband and your son, that each of you are contributing. So your son is helping. He's telling you about it. He's telling you why. He's answering your question of why he's lying or he's owning something, you know, there's a little piece there. There's a little piece on your end. There's a little piece on your husband's end. And then the three of you together work it to make it a we kind of again, or, a, yes. you know, move it back into relationship and everybody moved a little. So that's just another thing is like, I think sometimes it's easy to sit back and like, you know, well, I did understand and he's still doing it, which is how you started, which is it's really about the behavior and coercion. Even if we, you know, our agenda Versus this, okay, you know, looking at yourself, looking at them, working it out. That's wonderful. It's really great. Ultimately, remembering that our kids are their own people. And so I could do everything, quote unquote, right. Although I couldn't, because that's not possible. And I don't even know what that would mean. Yeah. (laughs) And my kid is still his own human. But I'm doing everything right. And it's just not working. Again, I think we can say, well, what does working mean? But then also, also go, well, they're their own people. Like I can do this. I can offer, I can create the environment. I can do my part. I can do everything. And then they're still their own. They're, they're their own person and, and come to get to know them. Who, who is this person in front of you? Yeah. How are they different than you? How are they yeah. similar to you? That's wonderful. Yeah. That's really wonderful. Yeah. So this is great stuff. I know people are really fired up about it. So how would they reach you? So I'm easy to find robingobel.com. And then there's all sorts of goodness there, you know, blogging super regularly. I've got a couple of free like video resources. In fact, I have a video called Regulation Connection and Felt Safety that people can watch on my website. And then I've recently started podcasting. It's called Parenting After Trauma with Robin Gobel. And to the best of my knowledge, you can find it everywhere. It's everywhere. super low tech. I do zilch editing. That's for now. We'll see what happens in the future. But yeah, so that's a new place people can find me. Oh, that's wonderful. You're doing so much. I so want to support you and your, these new ideas and leveraging people to support one another, which is really the key of what you're doing, I think right now, you know, in other words, you're looking at maintenance. How do you maintain this? Sure. We all want to do this one thing, but how do you maintain it? So look for our show notes in this episode and we will put some of those resources and link you to Robin directly. And is there any kind of final thoughts that like 
somebody out there that's really still tuning in, they're still listening. What's your last message? The thing that I really want folks to truly believe in the power about like themselves and about people and about relationships is this idea that if we change how we see people, we're changing people. Mm-hmm. That the way we approach people and the way we're in relationship with the women and the way that we're interpreting in, in their behavior, that impacts our own neurobiology. Mm-hmm. And then our neurobiology impacts them. And so just the shift in changing how we see people. I mean, when people are like, just tell me what to do, give me an intervention. I'm like, but that actually is an intervention. That's Truly, right. it's maybe not immediate. <laughs> it can be pretty immediate. You know what I mean? It's a lens. Yeah. Makes me think of the tail wagging, you know, that like if you begin to see, you know, the approach is a friendly approach, which is really the underpinning of secure attachment is one of the things that secure kids and secure adults have is this implicit trust and this expectation that they're going to be taken care of. Yes. It doesn't come naturally when we haven't had that kind of early experience. So it's in a way, it's like your direction is perfect because it goes back to let's move back towards what we call the green and shift how you're seeing other people, shift how you're seeing yourself even, right? Like yes, yeah. make this one tiny little thing and then you'll get more tail wags, yeah. which will then help you tail wag. And then we're now- Absolutely. Yep. Perfect. Yep. Thank you so much for listening. And if you guys are interested in more, we're not doing ads right now. And that is because of our patron group. And if you'd like to join, please go to patreon.com backslash therapist uncensored. There's all kinds of behind the scenes stuff, extra- content. And depending on the level, you get a few goodies in the mail. (laughs) And one other thing about the Patreons is that we call them our neuro nerd community is that I'm going to be teaching a study group on the three pillars, which is David Elliott and Dan Brown's book, Attachment Disturbances in Adults, Comprehensive Treatment and Repair. And I've taught this before, but out of demand, I'm going to do it again. And so any patron And you can be a patron for as low as $5 a month. Any patron of ours gets access to that study group for free. So thank you very much for coming back on. And by the way, I uh, love seeing some of your pink moves. (laughs) 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 I'm so impressed. Uh, Ariel Silks has changed my life. I write about uh, it in my book. So some of the pictures that I see of Robin, sometimes she's upside down, you know, (laughs) hanging with one leg, looks beautiful, very graceful. So that's been really fun. Okay. And with that, thank you so much for listening, everybody. And we will see you around a bit. Therapist Uncensored is Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. This podcast is edited by Jack Anderson. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.